Christmas cakes are great for the farm shop. Baron in Doncaster, by the way, you show tuned into All Fruits Right podcast, a discussion about the environment. This is series one, episode 10. We're speaking today with Gav Lawson, the founding director of THTC, the hemp trading clothing company, which is the UK's leading ethical clothing label. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please help us share far and wide. Tune in to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Mixcloud, and then follow the All Fruits Right podcast Instagram. We're here in the Lion Room at Unit 137HQ with Gav from THTC Clothing and Mr. Lou Masai. What's up, Ads? Mr. Yeah, I'm Hi, good. Yeah, I'm all right. A little bit tired. I had yeah. to do an airport trip this morning to pick up my girlfriend, Eesh. who's just come back from Zambia. So, Oh, which airport? Uh, it, was, it was Heathrow, Heathrow Airport. I my house. I live next to Heathrow. Oh, <laughs> you could have got a free lift. Could have I all worked out. Could have out. done, mate. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Gav, tell me, THTC. A, what does it mean? And how did you come by an original and amazing branding? Uh, okay, so THTC stands for the Hemp Trading Company, which I set up with my brother in 1999. Um, at that point, two years before that, I was at uni study a little bit lost, studying advertising and marketing and not really realising or not really knowing where my where my life was going, really. Uh, I was doing some DJing, listened to a lot of jungle, um, just involved in the debauched kind of club scene. And then my brother, um, my brother came up with the idea of uh, hemp textiles or actually hemp soap before that. Uh, after he got arrested in going through America, going through France, sorry, with a few friends with a load of weed, and he got chucked in jail with uh, a hemp cap on, which my dad had bought him in America, in Venice Beach, um, on the 4th of July, actually. <laughs> and he was cuffed to the floor, and this hat fell on his lap, and he was staring at it for hours, stoned off his nut. Um, and just looking at the label, which had a, had a, can, a cannabis leaf on the front, but he hadn't actually made the associ- association between hemp and, and, and weed. Um, so he was staring at this label for hours, which said, this is made from 100% pure cannabis, organic cannabis, you can't smoke this. And he was a real hippie and he was freaking out going, why am I being chucked in jail for something that's organic and all this? So he looked into hemp um, and wrote his dissertation on industrial uses of cannabis. And while he was at Hull University, there wasn't a lot else to do in Hull, but he started a society called Hempology, which became second biggest society in Hull after the Football Association within a few weeks and um, (laughs) just gathered a lot of traction. So... I started one at UWE in Bristol and started basically getting hemp samples from plastics, from paper, from textiles, cosmetics, and starting events to discuss and talk about them. And that's where THTC was birthed. 
Well, that's the crazy thing about hemp, isn't it? That it is so diverse and it's been used by so many different industries. And it would seem like the industrial revolution has alienated the production of hemp-based products from the market anymore. For sure, intentionally, actually, yeah. I mean, because it's so useful and has so many byproducts, uh, and all of them, you know, you can grow hemp across the world in, in most conditions. And so the control of power, it sounds conspiratorial because it is, but the control of power essentially was something that uh, a small group of people aimed to change because um, because hemp was having such a... Um, it was becoming so popular um, across so many industries, um, namely... Uh, paper production, which you know, which you know, and um, and petroleum. So if it's a threat to the petroleum industry, and Rudolf Diesel is running cars off, running diesel engines off of hemp, um, and Henry Ford is building cars out of hemp fiberglass, then you know, you know, it's it's a massive thing. So essentially, it was um, very intentional how they how they um, came up with a propaganda campaign and smear campaign against cannabis, and yeah. it's incredible that it's. Um, you know, 80 years later, it's only just changing again. The yeah. Renaissance is just starting now, really. So, you know, I was assuming when we found out about it 20 years ago that when everyone else starts discovering the uses of this plant and that it was a massive cover-up in the first place, then everyone would get behind it. But it's taken a long time, you know. It's only now the media is getting on, on board, and that's purely because of the law change in the USA and the fact that kids are being cured with cannabis um, from from cancer and epilepsy and all these other things. It's very difficult for them to now to ignore that. Mm. So I want to get into a bit more about what THTC does and how you come up with your designs and the artists that you've worked with. But I think we should spin a track first just to get back into that after the tune who are we gonna, who, whose track are we going to start we're with we're going to start with I think with Gav so Gav's? Gav nice, yeah nice. we chose Chinese Man mm-hmm. so. I'm a massive fan of Chinese Man um, since Skits actually turned me on to them years ago at Boomtown and uh, ASM A State of Mind one of the French bands that I work with very close friends they are signed to Chinese Man now and um, yeah love them love their production and Deluxe is on Chinese Man is one of my favourite bands as well okay so Chinese Man is a, like a record label? Chinese Man Recordings, yeah, and um, and a band as well, consisting of three French DJs called Chinese Man, and a bunch of MCs, like Taiwan MC, um, yeah. Joker Star. Um, I've heard Taiwan MC, but not... Yeah. I didn't yes. realise it was a label. I thought it was one artist or something. No, 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 it's a label. Oh, cool. Um, quite a big label with a, a lot of different... Um, and Toomey as well, he's a South African rapper. He's He does a lot of, um, a lot of stuff with them as well. I didn't know. Yeah, That's cool, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to checking yeah, prolific. it. Yeah. Wicked. Let's get into it. Let's do it. I never dropped the ball, don't get it twisted, bitch, I did the opposite. Took some time to get my cheese correct and do a proper thing. Hopped up out the loop and had to work some fucking awful shit so I could eat my pizza with all toppings and the condiments. See, I deserve my slice of all the elements for stepping back from all the mess when the game became ominous. While y'all embraced the grimy darkness, I was chasing opulence. Trying to get my wallet fit while I know it's on some opera shit. It's common sense, kids, let me summarize. Wake, work, make moves, never mind the other guys. Stack chips, buy a grip, cop a whip, something fly. Hustle for yourself, the shit, don't try to tell me otherwise. You tend to see the downside of the fears, though. When you take a steady look from outside of the fishbowl, people that you thought were real are downright fucking bitch, though. It's like you wanna suck a chin, though, like a clinch, go. So I ain't another drop in a bucket. 
me that easy Sit and watch them all scatter like dogs There they go, there they go There they go, there they go, there they go There they go, there they go There they go, there they go, there they go I never heard of seven toes It's Cheers for choosing that tune, man. No worries, man. Wicked tune. Yeah. I'm really checking much of their stuff out. I've just seen like one music video of Taiwan MC. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when there was Chinese man performing at Boomtown that year. So I think we were doing the Tangled Roots Arena right, um, yeah, that yeah. year as well, but maybe in a different spot. But um, unfortunately, I don't get to leave yeah. Tangled Roots when I'm <laughs> at Boomtown. So I'm just like... <laughs> Yeah, it's rare that I get off the THTC stand, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you did make it down to when Jago and I were playing. Yeah, we um, did. That was great, man. That's wicked. Um, Shambhala, yeah. Shambhala this year. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Which was really nice to see you guys, man. That's wicked. And I saw only Joe at um, Boomtown as well. Yeah. A couple of years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wicked. Yeah. So we were talking, or we were going to start talking about how you choose your designs and the artists that you work with and what the sort of the mission statement, I, I guess, of what THTC is and what your values are as a brand? Sure. Well, I mean, I grew up watching Attenborough and it, in the countryside. And, uh, you know, I was very, I was always in, in, um, in amongst nature. And um, I was kind of lucky enough to, to travel as well and go to Africa when I was younger. So, you know, the, the natural world has always had a massive influence on what I've done. So we started, um, we actually started with not just T-shirts with THCC. So we were looking at, and the hemp textiles were a very new thing back then. So the fabrics weren't really up to anywhere near the, what they're like now. So we actually started with a full range, um, jeans, shirts, um, T-shirts. And the T-shirts kind of, they've felt a bit like, we used to joke about the fact they've really felt like, 
um, camel camel pubic hair really. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the soft lush uh, kind of fabrics that you're used to from THTC now. They were really quite rough. So t-shirts, um, it was a struggle to sell t-shirts back then. Then we just decided when we got new fabrics and the, the fabrics started softening up a lot, we just decided to cut everything else out of the range and just stick with t-shirts. Uh, it was around about that time I met Mal Mal who um, had just done Rodney P's album covers. Oh, yeah. he, he grew up with skits um, and skits introduced me to, uh, to Mal Mal. Then without, I mean, without Mau Mau, there'd, there'd be no THTC now, really. Let's just it's explain who Mau Mau is. So, Mau Mau is a Devon-based uh, dread who uh, essentially creates very environmental and thought-provoking artwork um, based around environmentalism and activism. So when I did a design with him, it was really popular, and then I've, I started doing more and more with him. So quite often I'd see his canvases and his artwork and just say, Dredge, look, can we turn this into a T-shirt design? And so, and it would still be very kind of gritty, very graph, so he wouldn't kind of put it through Illustrator or anything like that. It would still be quite raw as like stencil kind of art. But uh, quite often I'd just, you know, work with designs that he'd already created. Um, and then over the years it's progressed to a point where we'll come up with an idea or a concept and then try and kind of brainstorm something together quite right. often. And yeah, I mean, I'd say half, probably maybe not half, but almost half the designs that I've done in 20 years have been his his prints. Yeah. But yeah, we he's, he's very eco-minded and we try and donate a, a chunk of various sales of various t-shirts to to charities so you know we, we we work with him on the world land trust protecting elephant corridors um through to uh, get ritual try sharing one of his most popular prints with us which we donate um percentage to refugee community kitchen so you know he's mau mau and thcc's um values are very very aligned right yeah so yeah and we've worked with probably 20 25 designers over over the years but i always go back to to mau mau really and just like every season i make sure i've got at least three or four of his, his prints we've worked with other designers like oh hopefully we're going to work with you next year um louis yeah, fingers, crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed um but yeah five and hearse a guy in canada called low class a girl called rue um from kingston um there's a guy from Poland who's very famous called um, Pavel Kuzunski who does like in incredible um, activism type stuff and yeah and then so we've always got a core of designers that will kind of go to oh the tribes as well we do a lot of stuff with the tribes up in uh, Sheffield he's from Nottingham but a lot of the kind of music collaboration designs that we get we'll kind of put out to two or three different designers and see what they come back with um, yeah, so that's another thing that you do a lot with, is working with, like, I mean, we mentioned it already, you've worked with Chinese Man and you've worked with ASM, Rodney P and so on, but mm -hmm. you've worked with a lot of musicians. And how did that come about and how does that benefit the branding of a T-shirt company? Well, I mean, as I said, when I started THTC, I was I was very involved in the club scene, um, even if it's just turning up to clubs and getting drunk. I was I was totally <laughs> involved in that a lot. Uh, I was in Brist uh, UE in Bristol, so uh, you know, I, I met a couple of the uh, a couple of DJs, producers, um, MCs, namely MC Jake's uh, Rough Cut um, and Dakota Tekich, people like that from from the early days back down there and DJ Daisy and they kind of introduced me to a lot of other people so I mean I didn't have a budget I didn't have any money we just raised enough, a little bit of money to produce the first range and then you know I couldn't really advertise anywhere so I took 
some of those t-shirts and I used to go around hang out at their houses and you know this was before social media before the internet was really a thing even so you know I'd, I'd spend a lot of time um in the clubs kind of giving them a few shirts to wear getting some photos getting them to throw shirts out and getting the MCs to talk about environmentalism now right. because it's made of hemp you know we we've always tried to disassociate in a, in a sense the weed smoking side to hemp because I just thought it was just too you know too obvious and a bit too cheesy to you know just be known as a hemp brand because I wanted right. other people to be taking hemp seriously and if you'd go, if you'd talk um, to anyone in the press, or they'd, you know, put a piece out about you, the first thing they'd do is align THTC with or, or hemp with getting stoned. Right. You know, and back then, getting stoned was a negative. Now it's, you know, everyone's embracing it. It's fine. There's healthier ways to do it. But back then, it was really associated with people being lazy, getting no work done. And I realised I'd have to go to the banks at some point and probably try and raise some finance. So we always try and disassociate. But with the artists, they're all junglists, all hip hop, reggae lot. They all smoke weed, so they love the association. Right. Plus, it's you know, it's um, it's a political crop anyway. But then, if you tell people, you know, these guys don't know, they love weed, uh, they love environmentalism, because who doesn't? Um, and then you tell them, oh, by the way, this, you know, the government doesn't want us to grow this, and you know, you added that el other element of kind of you know, danger to it. Um, and then you just let people know all the history of the plant and people got genuinely excited. Plus, of course, everything that we produce is made under uh, ethical conditions. So, you know, you really empower people by saying, by the way, the slave industry is, you know, it's, uh, sl slaving is still massively rife, but it's just gone underground. And do you really want to be a part of that or do you want to be a part of something positive mm. and know where your clothes come from? Now, 20 years ago, trying to sell that concept into shops was completely alien. If I called up a shop or went into a shop saying, oh, I make hemp clothing, ethical clothing, organic clothing, fair trade clothing, before they'd even seen any of it, they'd say, it's not for us, mate. We know what, you know, we know what your ethnic -y ethical stuff is like. So we had to break down a lot of barriers and change people's perceptions. Mm -hmm. And it was only when it became a bandwagon thing that all the press jumped on it and went, oh, yeah, fair trade and sweatshops and all this. You know, we'd been doing that for 10 or 12 years already. So on the one sense, we we're ahead of our time um, and, you know, it was very difficult. But on the other sense, people know that we were one of the pioneers of of that kind of um, that right. kind of brand, you know. Mm. So it, it's it's working now because people say, how long have you been trading? We say oh, almost 20 years and they're like, oh, Jesus, OK, you know, kind of, you know, the real deal. But there's lots of, you know. And do you find that there is like there's. Um there's more competition on the market for you now with this range because I haven't, I still don't see that many hemp-based fabrics. I mean, I was trying to, uh, I was looking up the production of, I've forgotten what it was, but I was looking at like uh, interior kind of design stuff and I wanted to um, get hemp denim. Yeah. Oh, that's it. I wanted to actually make a canvas that was made with hemp denim mm -hmm. and I just couldn't find anything that I could get in the UK that was going to match what I wanted and it was getting imported from China I think it was mm -hmm. yeah um, which I understand is like one of the biggest hemp producers right oh it is the by far the biggest and they've been producing hemp for 10,000 years so right. they're 10,000 years ahead of where we are on the right. production curve 
but yeah yeah no absolutely is there a competition like for there was uh, american brands um there are a few brands across europe who are doing hemp stuff there's, there's none in the uk really and i'm absolutely shocked that we haven't got a, a lot more competition but also realize how hard it's been for me and we, we have a fairly good high profile quite a good following but it's still tough to make money yeah because you know people at the end of the day it's it comes down to price and our cost of product is probably 20 times higher than Primarts, for instance, to make a t-shirt. Right. So, but funny you should mention canvas and denim because um, canvas comes from the word cannabis, as you might know, yeah. and uh, denim comes from denim, chanvre denim, which was hemp from France, which is um, in denim. Um, so the original denim was originally made out of hemp, hemp yeah. as, as was canvas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, um, wasn't it also canopy? Isn't that like canopy? A, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. well. Hemel Hempstead, um, yeah. Hampshire. These are all, you know, um, these are all refer back to uh, the, the original can days of growing cannabis. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the the, the Chinese really. There's a uh, there's a big production out there um, north of Qingdao, and they essentially are responsible for pretty much all of the really high quality textiles hemp textiles and so where does your um, hemp come from is it coming from it's China? chinese as well right. yeah um we manufacture i was out there in february actually going to see the factories we work with two factories there's 10 to 15 people working in each of these factories and the the people in there are so happy um they are just delighted to be working there it's you know i mean a lot of people will, will look at us and go why are you producing in china it's you know human rights um nightmare and what I was, you know, what I say to that is, in China, as there are in the UK, there are horrific factories, you know, where people are being mistreated all over the place. People working in, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but people working in Amazon factories or Sports Direct factories over here, which are way, way worse than working in an ethical, a nice ethical factory out there. Hmm. And I was walking around filming and just, you know, interviewing the workers to make sure they were happy. They've all got better phones than I have, you know, they're all six o'clock turns up and they're all like, bye, I'm going now. And it's like, can we just stand and finish this pile of t-shirts? They're like, no mate, it's six o'clock, I'm off, you know? And that's that's the reality, you know? We are, mm -hmm. My office hours are a lot more brutal than, than theirs. They're happy, they're paid way over the minimum wage um, for the area and they're, it's family businesses. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's as many ethical and eco-minded businesses starting up out there as there are, you know, bad ones. So, you know, China, China and places like that need fair trade businesses. They need ethical factories. And what I would say is that despite the con what, what we do have now is not necessarily small competing hemp brands, but it's a lot of the big high street brands pretending to be ethical now. So, right. you know, a lot of the factories after there's a big thing in the news and then a lot of the, 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 the old... Um, standard old, old lot so the, the gaps and the nikes and whoever it is obviously primark um a lot of these start getting fingers pointed at them they'll spend millions of pounds on pr to make it look like they're doing something about it as opposed to necessarily bringing their, their factories up to standard you know right. and they've got massive budgets to go oh we're definitely looking into this and oh this is not in our factory but at the end of the day you know it's going to cost them a lot more to make sure that their workers are paid well and they're being looked after than to actually spend a bit of money on a PR campaign about it, which is <laughs> the sad crazy. reality, you know. Fashion is is fashion in the uh, in the sex industry are the, the the two biggest ones I'd say for human trafficking. You know, hmm. um, there's people living on islands now who can't get off these islands because they've signed their life away to go and work for a big westernized company, and they're basically just slaves now. You know, 
have have their babies on the on the floor underneath their sewing machine and they never leave you know wow <laughs> it's hor- horrific and there's so much of it and actually going on into uh, that kind of leads me on into the the cannabis scene and the late the legalization the law change around cannabis it's the same thing the amount of people that are snatched um and brought over to run uh illegal um uh, cannabis factories you know snatched from vietnam particularly uh, who are essentially working in British um, sweatshops for cannabis, growing cannabis, because it's, you know, because of the criminal aspect of it. You know? mm. it would... That was something you wanted to talk about, wasn't it? The production of cannabis. Well, I mean, it's quite, it's quite a sort of deep subject, the whole, the whole thing around cannabis and hemp production. But are you talking about Vietnamese being brought over to Thailand? Because there's a lot of Western companies that are now moving over to Thailand to grow thailand um, here um, i mean anywhere really yeah. where there's um where it's still illegal yeah yeah because yeah. you've got like because here like one thing i wanted to talk about um is it i mean it's brit i mean british sugar hmm. and just how that they've been growing hemp here since 2016 well that's what i've read but maybe it's been longer oh no it's um, been, yeah, it's, it's been growing hemp for 20 years at least 15 20 years yeah yeah so that's mad and it's mad that they're selling that to GW Pharma and the interest of how Theresa May's husband is mm-hmm. basically part of GW Pharma. It is incredible. And this is basically, it's... they've been given a license. And I don't know, can they grow cannabis? Can they actually grow like THC? Like... Yeah, the, the, yeah we, we are the, the UK government and the biggest producer and exporter of medicinal cannabis, whilst at the same time claiming there's no medicinal benefit in cannabis it's a very british thing yeah <laughs> yeah it really is yeah. yeah do what we say not what we do uh it's fine for Theresa may's husband to do it but it's not fine for everyone else well that's because it because they'll they'll claim that it's unregulated so you're causing more you know risk to people not knowing what you're doing so wait until we've done all the tests and we've got it available you can buy it off of us which at a, at a very high price because now we're looking at cbd oil on the market mm-hmm. and it's not right it shouldn't be that expensive it doesn't cost that much to produce no hemp. it doesn't it, like and there's a lot of um cheap crap versions of cbd out there as well you know straight and a lot of misinformation um you know and actually just wanted to plug my my friends uh jeff ditchfield um callie blackwell and simon blackwell so jeff runs bud buddies um i don't know if you saw i was on sky news in february with with, with him talking about hemp and he was talking about cannabis um thca oil which he essentially provides to um to parents of dying children and and helps them with their cancer and with sure. their epilepsy and all sorts of other things. Um, More so, power to that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone else who is doing that He's to try and help people, to try and help people with illnesses which this plant can actually help, help you know, it can help you. There's, you know, I just want to say that, mm. that I'm, and that's, I've got a lot of respect for you, man, and what you're doing with, with your company and Thanks, and, what, and what people are trying to do. You know, I've got a friend of mine um, who, who's looking to try and basically grow hemp and, and, and try and make that into something that he's doing in an ethical way as well and more power to him. And it needs to move forward in a progressive way, man. We can't. I don't know. Yeah, for it sure. just doesn't make I, any sense. I mean, thank, thank you very much for that, man. But it's really, it's the people that are risking their lives to grow and sell cannabis oil around the world who are, you know, risking jail time. And in the case of the Malaysian guy, um, Luckman, he was recently put on death row because he was running Bud Buddies for Jeff out in Malaysia, providing cannabis oil for these kids. 
in Malaysia, which is insane, and he got caught, obviously, and he was on death row. It's only after massive internet protest has kicked off that they've actually decided to review law change for, for cannabis in Malaysia, which is incredible. I never thought that would happen. Mm. But this is a brave man, you know, I'm just making hemp yeah. t-shirts and yada yada. But I mean, there are people out there who are risking their lives doing this, um, you know. So there's always more that we can do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Should we get man. into the next tune? Yeah. Yes. Um, chosen... Are you going to play the tune or am I going to play the tune? I kind of, well. No, you go for it, Ads. It's just like after talking like that, talking about that kind of level of madness that goes on in the UK government um, and other governments around the world. But then on the flip side of that, there's some really interesting stuff going on in other countries like Canada and Uruguay and places that are actually trying to be a little bit more forward thinking. There's obviously going to be a bit of madness within that because there's a lot of politics involved. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's that's very progressive, which is great. Absolutely. Um, Uh, Portugal as well is a shining beacon of light. I was in Porto uh, last month for for a hemp show, cannabis show, and it's only the second year they've been doing it. But last year we were there and we were stopped in the street by some plainclothes police and they searched us, found a bit of weed. And they explained to us that as long as we were caught with less than 10 days worth of anything, whether it's heroin, cocaine, whatever, they'll give it back to you. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but they offer support for people as well. You know, they, do. they don't think they, they don't they don't basically marginalize people. They what they do is they actually they look at. Yeah trying to help these people who are struggling with addiction. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm not talking necessarily just about cannabis. Mm. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Harder drugs harder like drugs, yeah. heroin and crack it's cocaine and for sure. all these other things that are out there. Same thing as in, in Holland when they started the experiment with cannabis and loosened drug laws and started lo- treating um, hard, you know, hard drug users as not as criminals but as... as um, as as sick people, you know, and try yeah. to try to cure them, and the the age of heroin addicts has gone from eighteen to twenty years old up to 40, 45 year old, forty five year old, you know. So it's so going back to the music. The reason why I wanted to play the next tune is because I'm going to play another version of the first track we released on the record label mm. Unit One Three Seven, which was a track by Only Joe, and it's called Revolution. Oh, okay. And THTC Gav and the team actually supported us. Okay. And we basically developed a design and we, we put it out there. Um, I tried to find it to wear it today, but I didn't have it. So. It's a wicked design. Um, it's a yeah, it was basically the only Joe Lion, mm. but it was like black jumper with like gold, shiny gold print. Okay, I think I remember THTC in the Lion. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I wanted to play a version um, off that vinyl, which is a 10 inch, which isn't actually available anymore. And I think I'm going to play, I think it's pretty relevant actually to play the Skits and the C remix. um, Because obviously Skits is associated with you guys as well. Um, Massive props to the C as well, Corin Pennington, you know what I mean? Who does a lot of work with Skits and work with him on a production level but also you know he's a producer in his own right so props to Corin, props to joe skits and props to joe Byrne as well you know oh yeah for sure you know what i mean gotta give a shout out to him mau mau's son mau mau's son doing mm-hmm. his thing um, shout out to mau mau full stop yeah mau mau yeah for sure mau mau <laughs> he's in big up he's in, th- he's in thailand at the moment so yeah don't feel too sorry for yeah you. no I, I never feel too sorry for anyone who's abroad yeah <laughs> so yeah let, let's have, let's have a listen and we'll come back 
Gav from THTC Clothing, just passing through to the All Fruits Right podcast with Louis Masai and Adam, and very honoured to be invited down, saving the world one hemp t-shirt at a time. Nice tune, ads, with skits of, of all people. Yeah. So you was, we were just talking about how you met skits. Yeah, so um, so that was Skits in the Sea remix. Um, yeah, we met Skits through a member of Only Joe, a guy called Papa B, Harry Bradford, yeah. who uh, is from Bristol. And yeah, he, he we, we linked him at a birthday party. He came down. I mean, we linked him a few times as well, just at different festivals. And we were kind of doing the same circuit. Yeah. It was at the time when he was, him and Rodney were part of Chai Wallers. Right. And we were doing the same circuit of festivals as well. So there was a lot of lineage and we'd always, I don't know, we'd always pop in. So then, then we thought it, it would make sense if, if Skits did the remix. And he was like, well, what about working with the C? And then we met Corin. And yeah, like we've done lots of work with Corin since. Corin played uh, Cornet, and, uh, Cornet and Trumpet on our most recent album that came out. He played it on a couple of tracks, uh, a track called Nar Join. Um, and a track called Priestess and Warrior. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, at the circles that you are working in, Gav, it's very similar in many respects to the circles that you're working in, Ads. Like, I don't really do the festival circuit so much, and I'm just busy in the studio yeah. being a, yeah, yeah, a hermit. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's one big family, that, that yeah. music, that music scene really, you know, I mean, Chai Wally mentioned they've been epic at, at keeping together this, this family of really positive musicians, and it's always the best stage, the stage that I gravitate towards at, at festivals. Yeah, sure. They've got, they, their sound is like nothing else. Yeah. yeah. And it keeps getting better. When I went to Shambhala this year, I imagine you checked it yeah, when yeah. you were there. I was, but I was just like, they, I didn't think they could make it sound better. Mm. But, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they've got a really good bar. They do good food. It's like, well, Shambhala in general as a festival is just, yeah, it's definitely up there as my best UK festival. Mm. But, um, yeah, big up Chai Wallers. Yeah, big up Chai Waller. Nice. <laughs> Side Chai actually was, yeah, he was selling our T-shirts before he started Chai Waller years back. Um, he had Creative Nature was his business. But, yeah, he's he's a grafter, man. That guy's gone through it for sure. Yeah, yeah. fully. Yeah. So I wanted to quiz you a bit about because I know that you do a lot of talks and you do you travel around the world doing these talks and just wondered how that transition of being a clothing company switched into being a lecturer and a sort of a sustainable guru in a way. Well, it's actually way outside of my comfort zone, or it used to be. Um, my brother, who I, you know, ran the company with for ten years, he was great at public speaking and made a, you know, m- made it a big thing for, within THCC and for us to get up and just talk, you know, um, talk about our experiences. Because at the end of the day, that's that's all it is. Our life, our lives, um, trying to do what we've what we've been doing, um, and actually, you know, trying to trying to live it. Um, and then he left after 10 years and I've kind of had to fall into that role as well. So it's not something that's come natural to me, but um, but I do enjoy it. And essentially, you know, what what I've always said for me is it's about armchair activism is like a phrase that I kind of coined because people are too busy in their day-to-day lives to worry about trying to save the world. You know, people have families, people have jobs to put food on the table and pay the bills. And 
years ago, you know, I used to be a little a little bit preachy about, you know, telling people off or whatever it was within drop, dropping litter or not recycling or whatever it was, eating McDonald's, whatever, you know. And then I just I just realised that you, you just can't preach at people. And for me, there's there's a big parallel here with with the vegan industry for me. And I know you're vegan and I've got nothing but absolute respect for vegans. But much like Bill Hicks used to say, non-smokers are the worst adverts for non-smoking. You know, it's very much a lot of vegans who will come up and preach to you and, you know, People don't want to be preached at, you know, and that is what I've always tried to do with THC is make activism fun and just, you know, just basically draw attention to things, but do it in a fun and cool way, whether it's through music or through satirical um, designs, you know, essentially you point things out, but you also don't make people feel guilty because they will shut mm. down straight away. Mm. So with, with THC and with a lot of people who, who've tried to run ethical businesses or organic businesses startups who where you, your profit margins are way smaller and you earn a lot less money uh you know i've i've always said i work way too hard for my money to give it to scumbags so for me embracing boycotts identifying which companies and which industries are destroying the planet which is what veganism essentially is about as well mm. um and then actually feeling empowered by not buying these products but you know by also telling other people about it you know I haven't been to Tesco for years, I haven't bought fast food for years, Coca-Cola, you know, Nestle, the, the, the list goes on. And although it sounds a bit wanky, it's also, you know, unless you, the, the, the one way to make a company uh, sit up and take notice is if everyone stops buying from them, you know. McDonald's spend loads of money trying to look more green and eco, you know, and trying to provide salads and all this. It's too late the for McVegan. them. The McVegan. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's how is the McVegan? Uh, it's not, yeah, I mean, look, we have to go into it at some point. Uh, there is video footage of me doing it, and I went in and tested for it out. For research purposes, I should, Yeah, it was for research purposes. I haven't eaten McDonald's in a while, um, but I did go to Sweden, where it is where, where my mate my mate Galak Spiritual, one of the members of the crew, lives no, with his Galak, baby, yeah. yeah, with his daughter. So now he lives in Sweden. So we went there, and I was, and then my girlfriend, who I was with, who's also half Swedish, half Zambian, um, was like, "Yeah, the, the McVegan is available." Like, That's like a real and I was thing. like, yeah. "Okay, <laughs> it sounds horrendous." Like, I don't want to go near it. And then it kind of got into a bit of a joke. And then I ended up going there and I got filmed eating a McVegan. And to be honest, it was just, it was just nothing special. It was just like, like some vegan mayonnaise and yeah. whatever was in that patty and some dodgy bread and like loads of lettuce. It was like... It's vegan bread as well, was it? Yeah, yeah, vegan bread, mate, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure there but that's no, the thing man it's, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually it's fro but, it's yeah go on, sorry. sorry it was just mad because this is the same thing they're saying yeah, yeah. it's following fashion so yeah, yeah. being vegan is fashion um i don't even like saying that i'm vegan i go I, i'm now i'm like kind of like half scared about saying it i just go yeah uh, um yeah, I don't eat dairy, so <laughs> could I just have that? Yeah. And like, yeah, look, like I'm like, oh, I don't want to say I'm, don't want to say I'm vegan. Well, um, yeah, <gasps> you, well, yeah, but you need you need a I know. Comp companies such as McDonald's to start doing free range eggs, and even if the the milk is organic milk and it's still mm. milk, you know, it's stepping stones like this, which which it does change uh, it's, it's changed because on. of boycotts and because of you know their arrogance yeah. during the McLibel case and all of this. And things are changing very quickly. Yeah, but they're just jumping on a bandwagon like a load of other companies of are, are, which is just 
absolute rubbish. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's being a vegan, plant-based diet, whatever you want to call it, is is you know each person should have their individual reasons mm. um i personally do it because i just want to try and do better absolutely um and that's kind of where it came from it came from other things as well like seeing a few things that kind of woke me up when i was younger on a trip to ethiopia and there was like a lot of trafficking of animals and mm-hmm. butchering going on in the street and this sort of thing it's the first time i kind of saw it but then i thought this isn't as bad as what goes on here in yeah. the UK yeah, and yeah. factory farming and but I don't know Louis could probably say loads about this and we could talk about this pretty deeply but um for me it's even it's about mass production that's yeah, the problem yeah. it's mass production it's mass production of vegetables mass production of 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 any type of food in this industry and like you say the fashion industry and anything of this mass production like thing we need to stay away from fast fashion and fast production as well but it's dangerous populations increasing so fast then that's the one thing we have to keep an eye on is is population growth Mm. yeah it is the one thing and you know if there's going to be twice as many of us we're not all going to be able to eat cheeseburgers it's as simple as that i mean at some point eating meat is going to become illegal it has to yeah uh, you know well aren't they trying to pass some legislations currently whereby it's illegal for unnecessary plastic to be used in packaging yes for sure exactly single-use plastic i mean it is being made illegal yeah but, i mean you know what amazes me is that we've known about plastic and the the nightmare it causes and all, all the uh, the fact it doesn't break down and the oceans we've known about this for decades yeah, and yeah. it's only because attenborough brought it up in blue planet that everyone's paying attention now now the government's like oh king david sir david sorry is mentioning it we better do something about it you know all power to him but it's mm-hmm. sad that it comes it has to come from to a that. tv celebrity in order to make people listen yeah. absolutely it does yeah oh, no. but- yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say. So for me, going back to the activism thing and making activism fun, I think the most important thing, and I always tell people this, is when you go into a shop and they try and put things into a bag before you've even, you know, even if it's a pret a manger, which is quite a forward-thinking sandwich chain, but if they ask you, do you want a bag, and you say no, most of the time they'll still shove it in one because they're so conditioned to do that until you actually say. I've got two hands, I'm buying two things, I don't need this, or until you take your coffee cup in or whatever. And it, p- particularly with sustainable food, I was in the Westfield in Shepherd's Bush recently and there's uh, Europe's biggest Japanese f- uh, chain, it's called Ichiba, and they've just opened a massive one in Westfield. And I went in there and they were selling bluefin tuna, which is, you know, which is on the endangered list. And I and I basically made a small scene and said, can I speak to the sustainability manager? He came out, he didn't know he didn't know there was something he didn't know is on on the endangered list so i basically took a photo of it took a photo of him and said i'm coming back in a month and i don't want to see this on here again and he was like oh okay fine went back in a month still there called him out again told him off publicly quite noisily because you know unless you do this people aren't going to know yeah and if the sourcing manager of the biggest sushi chain doesn't realize or doesn't care that they're selling endangered species then you know we you need to pull people up on this and yeah. mm. and make an actual thing about it. Otherwise, it just it just goes totally unnoticed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that. I well, mean, I I kind of first of all, thanks for doing that for like the planet because like more people need to stand up and do it. And it's probably the wrong thing to let me know because it gives me more power <laughs> to want to go and do it myself. Because yeah. like I went into Sainsbury's the other day and the Sainsbury's that's near us. The big one. Yeah, yeah, the big one. 
And um, I try not to use it too much, but for vegan stuff, it's actually yeah. it's awesome because you get a choice of things. And I'm trying to convince other people to join in and therefore I cook for people and you've got to cater for the things that they want and so on sometimes. So, but anyway, that's retracting. We've got gourmet sushi and it's got a big sustainable logo written across the side of it. And then I'm looking at it and going, oh yeah, I'm not even going to think about how unsustainable the fact that your fish is mm-hmm. not sustainable. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just addressing the fact that you have got totally unsustainable plastic serving your contents and then that is going into the ocean and is ending up in the guts of the sustainable fish that you're serving to these customers. And I'm just like, this is this is crazy. And when I see that, I'm like, I want to have a chat with the manager. I'm like, how can this is false advertising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think he's even considered that? Do you think of course he, he hasn't. Well, I don't know if he has or if he's just saying, well, to do sustainable packaging, which you can make from cellulose, from plant-based, you know, you can make plant-based plastic, whatever, or uh, all the profit... Hemp-based plastic. Exactly, hemp-based <laughs> plastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. Um, that's it's all, got, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? It does. Margins. It does. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. It's just like, it does. just money. But, we don't think no. about much else apart from that. Bottom line. Yeah, it's just too much money. Yes. How much extra was it? I don't know, 10 pence? Yeah. Well, this, yeah. And this yeah. takes you back to the, you know, to, to the sweatshop um, argument of, hey, if, if you're buying a pair of trainers for $200 or £200 pounds and someone is making less than a dollar to actually stitch them together for you, then what's the difference if you're going to pay them $3 or $1, you know? Mm. And it's just the keeping people enslaved for the sake of doing that, you know, so they don't have any rights. But, but it is profit margins. And there's capitalism works for the people that profit off of it. But it, a new sort of kind of so, social capitalism, I think, is the only way forward, mm. you know? I mean, saying that, you know, I'm not making enough money to keep the business going particularly. But, you know, it, there's got to be a fine line, a happy medium in between the two right. of just mm. absolutely rinsing your suppliers and people that work for you. You know, like how how much money did Amazon need to make before they start paying their, you know, treating their uh, their workers not like slaves, you know? Um, and, paying taxes and yeah, exactly, <laughs> absolutely, it's just brutal. Um, so you know, people are being switched onto ethical business, but it works that you need to work it through the whole way through the chain. You know, yeah. you need you need to because it's going back to what you're saying about armchair activists as well. You know, it works on a deeper deeper level in terms of like we're desensitized, especially in cities, especially in London, desensitized from nature mm-hmm. so that we we don't really fathom what it would take to look after ourselves on a lot of different levels. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's like you say, it's partly to do with like a massive population, mm-hmm. but it's also that we've got very busy lives and we need to eat. We well, we need to wear clothes. We need, to, you know what I mean. Absolutely. So it's like you don't. You just think about cheap, convenient, and go, 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 yeah, go. Yeah. Don't think, go. And it's like really, we need to slow it down, have a think about what's really going on, and think about that we aren't really in control of any of this. Mm. It's nature that's in control of all of this. Mm-hmm. It's it's the world that we're living in. And also you know. people look at government and think, well, what are you doing to, imp- you know, to, to mm. make big environmental steps? You should have banned plastic years ago and you haven't come up with an alternative where there's alternatives out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, environmentalism and activism and these kind of things and charity, they've got a perception of being very middle class because, you know, and people who are struggling, really struggling to survive don't have the money to 
to then go and you know d make these decisions i absolutely get that you know mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be a middle class thing it should be a hey i need a bit less i don't need all of this and we should have a lot more support from the government should have a lot more celebrities endorsing these kind of campaigns because that's what people listen to we we're talking earlier about the kardashians and the fact that someone one of them was wearing a t-shirt which has now become a thrash t-shirt which has now become mainstream fashion because of it these people you know that are in the public eye that can influence need to stand up and start talking about talking about these things and actually empowering people to take out bags with them and not use plastic to you know buy less to buy less crap to, to buy one t-shirt as a from you know not necessarily my brand something that's going to last as opposed to buying five primark t-shirts and chucking them out after a couple of washes because they fall apart mm. when you grow a t-shirt with conventional cotton you use four thousand liters of water fresh water yeah that's not sustainable no you know hemp t-shirt needs 400 liters of water it's a bit more sustainable but it's about, and fashion, you know, it's always about what's happening next season. Oh, that was last season. Chuck that away. Get rid of that. Mm. The whole fashion industry is set up like that. It's not sustainable at all. Mm. Is that um, on the account of water? Was that for 100% pure hemp t-shirt or is that a mixed cotton? And no, that, well, that is, um, okay. So the actual production, the growing of the actual fabric itself, that would be based on 55% um, hemp, which is what we do in 45 organic cotton. Organic cotton needs a lot less um, water anyway than standard cotton because there's no chemicals in it. So you don't have to flush out, constantly flush out all the chemicals as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, that's on one of our hemp t-shirts. But the actual growing of the hemp as opposed to the growing of the cotton is just way less thirsty. Mm. So yeah, that's what's come down to you. Now, now there's all these cellulose, um, sorry, there's all these viscose fabrics. So bamboo, they're doing hemp viscose now, really not sustainable. So I mean, a lot cheaper to produce. Bamboo, unfortunately, as a, as a clothing fabric, is not sustainable. Mm. There's loads of yoga brands out there that are doing it. The actual growing of the of the bamboo, it's the fastest growing crop in the world. You don't need, you need hardly any water. You need no pesticides. But then to turn it into that viscose, they use caustic soda, all sorts of other chemicals to soften it and turn it into the fabric, and it just ends up being worse than you know, normal cotton at the end of the day. Mm. There's a lot of greenwashing out there. You know, there's a lot of people that will take the values of a plant and then totally destroy that plant and through the process in the process yeah it's loopholes as well isn't it yeah i mean it's it's funny with like even like organic food and all of these little things there's there's always like a little way you could get around this or yeah, get yeah. around that or you know it's a, absolutely it's uh it's hard to find a fully ethical company and there should be more of them. Every part of that process should be thought of. I mean, Louis, there's loads of your work, man. Like when you talk to me about like, oh, I want to develop this new thing. And I'm like, you, and you tell me all about the different details. And I'm like, yeah, mm. dope. And I'm, same with you, and same with you, man, you know? Well, I don't like, think that anyone can be, I mean, correct me if you think wrongly, Gav, but I don't think anyone can be completely sustainable. No, not at all. It's impossible. Just don't by, even charities. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that uh, earlier like how a charity can give itself a very bad name accidentally because it gets found out doing something that it shouldn't have been doing but if it didn't do it then it wouldn't have been able to fund all of the other yeah. things that it does Absolutely. which is saving many yeah, plants, for sure. animals 
people, all kinds of stuff. For sure. I mean, we, we are only human and we make mistakes. And there's right. people, you know, a lot of people working in these big charities that will go off rogue and, and, you know, do things that the charity doesn't believe in. But, I mean, f- for me, as a beacon of light, a shining beacon of light in the, in the clothing industry, Patagonia are just yeah, the they're ones. Great. They're just way ahead of ev- everyone else, you know, and I'd strive to be, you know, anywhere near them. Pat- you checked out EcoAlf? I don't know EcoAlf. EcoAlf, um, am I wearing something like this? No, today I'm not. Um, but yeah, I did a, a tour around the States a couple of years ago for about nine weeks and two friends of mine came and made films and so on. Okay. And we was painting all animals from the States that are endangered. And so I had to find a way to fund that. Right. right. So I sourced out and I spoke with some different sustainable clothing companies. One of them was Eco Alf. Um, and their clothes are made from either recycled cottons or recycled wool but also a lot of um plastic that's taken straight out of the ocean right yeah, yeah and then yeah. they label all of their products with what your garment is made of mm, amazing i love them they're so cool yeah yeah yeah. that's a big thing now is to, you know reusing plastic that comes out of the ocean yeah yeah for sure i mean it's the next best thing we shouldn't be as i said we shouldn't be making plastic anymore because there's so many alternatives not fossil fuel plastic anyway yeah no no absolutely mm. should we spin on to the next tune of course. I've got ASM, mm-hmm. A State of Mind, and I thought after Chinese Man, and I know that you've got links with them, I thought this would be a good album to bring to the table, and I've gone for Crown Yard. I've actually got, I think, all of their albums. Yeah, they're great. And I invited them over to uh, the UK, to Tell London, you. a few years ago uh, with another, uh, another guy who ended up totally screwing me over and so on, and it was a bit of a... You, you played at that gig as well. Mm. Um, I do. Yeah, it was a bit of an embarrassing yeah. event because there just wasn't enough people there. Yeah. Like, I pulled out all my guns and I'd done everything I could possibly do. Yeah, yeah. And then the person said, "Yeah, we're going to pack it full." Just didn't do anything. Uh, promoters, man. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, "Oh, so now I look like the idiot." <laughs> <But> anyway, so <laughs> oh, apologies, great. ASM. No, we um, they came over and played our uh, what was it fifteenth anniversary in a relay. Yeah, nice. really good. Wicked, wicked night. Yeah, they're great. But I've gone for the album Crown Yard and the tune is called The Heist. Nice. I was debating as to whether to go for Hide Hide and Seek featuring Cornell Campbell, but I thought after the one we had from you, I thought Heist was a better one to match it. Cool. So we'll go for that. Check out with this wine stack's gone. The heist is on. Gonna, 
thing so far Got the king of the pawns and the pimp Got the hookup for hookers that he'd be interested in Maybe we could sneak him in to seduce him and find what? Yo, Fade, what's the news with this Ryan star? You mean Ryan star? Yeah, that's the one We got a positive ID, yo, Frankie Apparently he's held by three guys in disguise No lies And an eye in the sky on the sly close by Shit, wait, green's on the other line You were to mother, my brother, you doing nah, fine nah, nah. Scantily dressed, little Reinsteck lady Faye just grabbed the cab. So that was a state of mind, ASM, yeah? Yeah, I love yeah. those guys. Yeah, wicked. Really nice. Um, and we were saying that they're... Is it... So they're moving over to Chinese records? Chinese man. Um, no, they put... They do collaborations with them, so they put tracks out with Chinese man. Okay. And, they, and they tour with them a lot. But um, but no, as far as I know, they've still... Yeah, they're still producing the new album under their new... Uh, under their label. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Lou. Yeah, no doubt. Always, always good vibes. Yeah, great live, really cool live band. <laughs> have to yeah. check them out. Well, I mean, I think Ashley. You have checked them out. You were like only Joe was supporting, and so you were doing the sound engineering. But uh... it might be one of those cases when you were in your thing, and then after the show you went off and did your thing, and then they would have come on afterwards. And... Is it the coronet? No, it was, uh, it was Village that Underground. Village Underground, that was it, yeah. yeah. It was Ghostwriters who played. It wasn't only Joe. No, it was only Joe. It was only Joe? Yeah. Because I remember I pissed off the uh, one of your uh, trumpet players as well because I was, like, shoved on stage and told I had to say that it was just a warm-up and I, was, and I just felt like 
a plum in it. <laughs> something uh, stupid. It's like, don't worry about this noise. And then he was like, noise? What are you talking about noise? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, don't uh, just say that. <laughs> wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think it... Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, just... yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to, um, to talk to you about... Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, one of the things was... I've been listening to your um, like other radio shows and podcasts I've, and stuff. I've been seeing other radio shows. Sorry. Yeah, you yeah. have. Like, <laughs> you, you're a man around town. <laughs> but um, yeah, you sent me some links, and I'll put those links also up um, on the website um, because I think it's important that people continue to listen to the things that you have to say because they're important. But you said if you could do it all again you wouldn't do clothing, you wouldn't be using hemp fabric, you'd be using hemp plastic. And that's something that I particularly would like to try and get to grasp with because, for instance, like, not that I am painting a shit ton of murals and not that, I mean, I work differently to some artists. Some artists will put a cap on every single one of their tins Mm -hmm. and then they will use, like, 40 50 caps in a day whereas i will probably use four or five because Mm -hmm. i use the same cap and i just jump it from one tin to the next but during a year or whatever like thousands of well not i'm not using thousands but i'm using hundreds of caps Mm -hmm. and these are classic un like uh, you you're not going to be able to really start recycling those so much because they've got the paint on them yeah. and you're going to have to strip the paint off. So there's no metal alternative that you can then chuck into water to melt all the paint off afterwards? There's there's no alternative? I guess you could probably strip them down, but yeah. and then you could put them into the recycling. And I do put them into the recycling and it's one of those things I put in the recycling box and I'm like, are they going to recycle it or are they not? Mm. Um, that's another like rabbit warren to climb oh, down. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. But... I would love, love, love. And so if anybody's listening who's got any kind of knowledge about how to make uh, biodegradable plastic well, products, mm-hmm. I want to know because I want to make a biodegradable spray cap. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm listening and I've got a few contacts, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad you're listening. I'm listening <laughs> I hope right? you're talking too. Well, so, yeah. I mean, for me, Hemp Plastics, when we started the company, we thought long and hard about whether we were going to do clothing, whether or not we are going to do cosmetics or hemp plastics. It just had to be something in hemp. So I come, I've come into a fashion brand 20 years ago, and I hate the fashion industry, and that's the way it is. But, you know, uh, it's, I think it's an important, THC is an important kind of beacon of light in so, some respects. But, I mean, hemp plastic is where we really thought about going. There wasn't an industry to sell it into. You know, at the end of the day, the, the price was so expensive and because there was no real alternative to petroleum and plastics also obviously comes from petroleum then it was a dead end back then now that people are all into looking into alternative energies and petroleum is kind of slowly dying fortunately you know alternative plastics and hemp is being grown a lot more it's coming down in price and people are actually embracing how to use it and figuring out how to use it. So we started um, the British Hemp Association recently. We only launched a couple of couple of months ago. Uh, and within that, there are different people from within various sectors of the hemp industry. So one of them is a guy called Steve Barron who owns Margent Farm up in Cambridgeshire. And he is focused purely on hemp plastics. So that's your first 
protocol to look at. Cool. Just very briefly, with the Hemp, Associ uh, the, the, the Hemp Association, the uh, British Hemp Association, the BHA, there's also Rebecca Sharman, who's one of the founders, and Hempcrete, UK Hempcrete, who make building yeah. out of out of hemp. Uh, Have you seen that? Company. I saw uh, I saw your post the other day. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, they're, they're a great company. Yeah. Really, really cool. Uh, there's Vitality Hemp. There's Hempen. Um, and there's Simon Blackwell as well. But a lot, yeah, a lot of people from different a aspects and TXTC are different aspects of the hemp industry are coming together to create a forum to actually discuss and try and change policy oh. on hemp growth in the UK. Huh. Well, Margent Farmers. I've definitely got someone I need to introduce you to then. Cool. Yeah, who's, um, who's pretty much going ahead with growing of hemp. Excellent. Um, in the in the UK. Okay. And yeah. So I'll I'll link you up. Wicked. So how does um, uh, so if it's something that you would do, mm -hmm. or sorry, would have done, is it not something that you would think of moving towards into doing now? Absolutely. Well, it's something that I really would encourage people to do. I don't have the time. I barely got the time to you know to to run THTC. But I mean, you know, so actually producing it myself, no. But um, incorporating someone else's hemp plastics into our range or into our packaging right. uh, is definitely absolutely something that I'd, I'd get behind I mean yeah. you imagine hemp plastic um, made from cellulose it only needs a tiny little seal I don't know that much about it but I mean the samples that I got before were like 99% hemp and then just a sealant to make it solid I mean you can get you the people are using 3d printers to print hemp plastic products now which is yeah. just amazing um, but then if you you know if you chuck it in the ocean then within a few weeks it's broken down you know it's made from so plants. what is it that breaks it down is it the water like, the salt water just would break it down but right. i mean you know it's totally compostable yeah. as well so the um, ground will break it down the as ground well. will break it down and yeah. how long does that take i don't know exactly yeah. but i mean you can incinerate it you know which you can't do with plastic because it releases all sorts of toxic gas gases but um can you smoke it that's what uh, can you smoke it you probably, <laughs> you probably can if you want to but this is a question i've been asked about my t-shirts thousands of times can you smoke it your t-shirt expensive yeah can you smoke a t-shirt it would be an expensive um expensive well hemp tea Hemp tea. Well, this is what we drinking. were drinking hemp tea. I brought down my pot of hemp tea because it's, I mean, I, I'm obsessed with teas, like, and I love hemp tea. It makes me pee a lot, which is good because it's cleaning out my system, but it's good for getting a good night's sleep as well. Mm -hmm. So long as you don't drink too much and need to pee all night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's good for, good for anything, pretty much. I think we're coming to the end yeah. um, of this episode. We've got one more tune, of course. We've got yeah. the remix. Well, not a remix, actually. We've got the the sampled track from the Chinese Man track. Okay. And this is, um, well, it's called Persian Funk, and obviously it's written in Persian as well, so I can't read the Persian bit, but I can read the English translation. The track's called Prison Song, and it's by Shaharam... Shabare. There's a lot of H's in this. I hope you got that right, Louis. Uh, yeah, shoot me if I didn't. But <laughs> yeah, sorry about that if I didn't. But yeah, we're going to spin that, and that is the original of the track that um, Gav chose. So cool. Thank okay. you so much for coming down, Gav. Thanks, man. And, Thanks, guys. Uh, educating us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I hope it was interesting a little bit. Yeah. No, it definitely. Like, I've just... Recently, I've come up with why I'm going to say that I came up with it. I took it straight out of a reggae track. But each one, teach one to reach one. And I think that it's... Um, 
it's something that we might start using in the podcast more as yeah. a reminder that the conversation of anything sustainable or conservation or bettering the planet and ourselves and sharing it with each other is the only way in which to progress and to like sure. move forward into the future. Is that a groundation line? Might have been. Okay, cool. I'm sure it's been used by a couple yeah, of yeah. agencies. <laughs> yeah. It's all about sharing. It's all about sharing the love. Yeah, totally. Nice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. Nice. Let's spin. Listening to the All Fruits Right podcast with myself, Hailu, DJ, producer, engineer, and founder of Unit 137 Sound System, and visual artist Louis Masai. We need your help. 
If you have enjoyed this All Fruits Ripe podcast, please share it far and wide. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Mixcloud, and check out our Instagram account, All Fruits Ripe Podcast. Until next time. Thank you.